One of the things I like about fall and the start of a brand new church season together is that uh, lots of new things start, new programs start, but we also usually kind of roll out of the summer mode of uh, worship with a little smaller team, and we get a big team on stage, and I was just kind of caught up. I thought they sounded great today, and you all sounded great today, and it reminded me of uh, heaven and what's going to happen in heaven. And, you know, in heaven, it talks in the book of Revelation about singing, and there's just going to be these voices. I mean, imagine the biggest stadium you've ever been. Multiply that by 10, 20, and all those voices are singing out in unison. I don't know what instruments are going to be in heaven. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see that because I think that's going to be something cool all by itself. Uh, you all are going to have great voices. Everybody's going to be in tune. That's going to be awesome by itself. Everybody's going to have rhythm. All right. Some of you are going to raise your hands for the first time. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good thing in heaven. Jesus is going to look on that and say, you know, I was waiting for that. All right, we're here now. You're worshiping. So it's going to be a good time, and um, we're all warming up for that day. We're all getting ready for the day in which we are all before the Lord, and we're singing to His glory. Today, we are going to be talking about some very important things. If you have your Bible with you, open it. We're going to start off, we're going to be in several verses today, but Luke chapter 6 is where uh, we're going to start today in just a few minutes. Let me remind you about something that happens in fall. And uh, one of the things that happens in fall, kids go back to school And there's all kinds of things that kids need to be reminded about in order to go back to school. Like, for instance, uh, parents need to say, you got to get up. You've been enough sleeping in from the summer. You got to get up in order to be able to go to school. It's way too early for many kids, but they have to be reminded tomorrow's a school day. And so we need to make sure and get to bed tonight on time. One of the things that kids need to be reminded about is comb your hair and brush your teeth. Uh, You know, lots of kids might forget that, and so they need a reminder of that. And pretty soon it's going to be, don't forget a jacket. Don't forget your jacket because you want to take that and make sure you stay warm on the playground. I asked my wife, she's a school teacher, and so I said, what are some things that you have to remind kids at the start of every new year? And she just chuckled and she said, man, there's a list of them. Number one is bring a pencil. You don't think you'd have to remind kids about that, bring a pencil, but you got to remind them, bring a pencil. Write your name at the top of the paper. I mean, how long have kids been at this? But they've got to be reminded, write your name at the top of the paper. Take these papers home to your parents. That always has to be a big reminder. Uh, There needs to be a reminder of keep your hands to yourself. You know, uh, don't punch your neighbor. You, You don't think you have to say that, but you do. Another one is don't talk while the teacher is talking. You know, I mean, it's just, rules just need to be reiterated again and again and again because they're just so easily forgotten. Well, I raise that because you have to reinforce those things in order to have a profitable school year. That's just part and parcel of what it means to have a school. What it means to send kids to school is those things need to be kept in line and kept in order. It's very similar to a church. We're coming upon a brand new year together. We're starting off kind of this year of a church year together. And there's certain things that need to be reinforced. There's certain things that need to fit in place for us and need to be, we need to be reminded about in order to have a great year together. Uh, my guess is that in order for me to remind you of our mission statement, many of you could say a piece of it, but maybe you can't say all of it. 
If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we're about making maturing disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what we want for everybody here. And you've heard us probably talk about that several times. However, my guess is, in fact, I had an elder recently challenge me. He said, Brian, how many people do you think could state our entire mission uh, as a church? I said, well, you know, you're probably right. Not many. And so for the next three weeks, I want to talk about our mission. And for the next three weeks, I'm going to actually have you say our mission together. Stand up. We're going to read the mission of our church together. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Here we go. Here's the mission. You ready? You ready to read that with me? One, two, three, go. CCF makes maturing disciples of Jesus who live in Christian community and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. One more time. CCF makes maturing disciples of Jesus who live in Christian community and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. Very good. You can have a seat. You notice that there's three pieces to this mission statement. Making maturing disciples, living in Christian community, and bringing the hope of the gospel to the world. And we're about all three of those. And those are the three pieces that I want to unpack over the next three weeks. I would argue that the first one is the most important, making maturing disciples. That's our bedrock. That's how we glorify God is by making maturing disciples of Jesus. But the other two explain the kind of disciples we want to create. We want to create disciples who know to live in Christian community and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. And we're not successful until all of that is operating in some level of unison. All right, let's remind ourselves of the, uh, as we begin with this idea of making maturing disciples, let's remind ourselves of the biblical calling to be disciples. And let me start by just reminding you that the word disciple in, uh, in the Bible is the word Greek word mathetes, and it's listed 269 times. Now, I want you to compare that to the word Christian in the Bible that occurs exactly three times. I think the Bible itself is telling us where it's laying a foundation, and it's laying a foundation upon this idea that we are all disciples of Jesus. If you know Jesus, then you are in the process of being his disciple. A disciple is really one who is a student or an apprentice, and I need to take you back to the ancient world. In the ancient world, you had a rabbi. A rabbi was your teacher, and you followed the rabbi around, and you learned about the way he thought, the way that he conducted his life, the way he responded to people, and you were, you were becoming coached all the time about how you were going to become like your rabbi or become like your teacher. And that's exactly the idea of what Jesus is talking about when he says, you're my disciples. You are a learner. You're an apprentice. You're learning from me and you're becoming like me. And that's what the whole game plan is. It's impossible to not become like the person you're being discipled by if you're truly following in their footsteps. And Jesus says, you're going to become like me. Jesus even says it, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Your Bibles are open there. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so Jesus is saying, you're never above your teacher. You're never above me. But as you're being trained by me, you're becoming increasingly like me and that's what the entire goal is is to become like our savior our master our leader jesus Uh, many people have tried uh, to put on the put in common words what it means to be a disciple and there's a couple of guys i think have gotten close enough for me at least i like their definitions of what it means to be a disciple and the first one is francis chan here's what he says a disciple is one who follows jesus 
and does what he says. Notice the, the emphasis there upon following Jesus, but then responding and doing exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. I like what Francis Chan do, does there. The next one is also good. It's by Rick Warren. A disciple is one who thinks, feels, and acts like Jesus Christ. And so it's this whole person involvement with becoming like Jesus, thinking like him, feeling like him, acting like him. And those are, I think, good definitions of what it might mean to be a disciple. If we're disciples of Jesus, it does not mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're the perfect reflection of him. But with every passing year, with every passing time that we are now in follow, a followership of him, we're becoming increasingly like him. And that's what the entire end game is. One person said, because of our shallow view of discipleship and the church, most believers are not equipped to do more than attend church. And that's an indictment, really, on the church. If that's all you're equipped to do is to come and attend church and listen, we're not doing a very good job. And so our goal is to have you mature, to mature personally so that you are feeling as though you are walking with God, you're close to Jesus, you're obeying him. We want that so that your family has, you make a difference in your family. And the way that you lead your family and the way you interact with your family is, is God-honoring. We, we want that so that you're of use to the church and you're functioning well within the body of the church and you're offering your gift and your service to the church and indeed our community is different because we are all part of our community and the reflection of Jesus is being shared in our community. We want to equip you to mature. That doesn't mean that we just want more skills with you, but we will actually want character development with you so that those two are matching the kind of person that Jesus is and that you are, uh, you're honoring him in that way. Well, chances are good that if you've been with us for very long, you remember a card that we handed out a couple of years ago. It was our vision card. And the vision card on the very front of it actually has the mission statement that we just said together. In case you weren't here at that time, after the service, I've got some cards there and there. And if you want to get one of these, it, uh, it explains really what we are all about. One of the things that I noticed on the inside of the card as I was recently... Uh, going through it, is that we explain uh, three kinds of things that we want the environment of discipleship to look like here at CCF. And environment is super important. In fact, the kind of environment that you have really dictates so many things that are going to happen. Let, let me give you an example of that. You know that many of you know that I, I love to garden. And I love the vegetable garden a lot. It, it was really a, a, a shame for me this year or a sadness for me this year that I didn't get to have a vegetable garden because Denise and I were gone for a, a, a piece of the summer and we didn't want to saddle somebody else with the responsibility of caring for the garden because it's a lot of work. But every year I have a garden and I've learned over time there are several things that are needed in order to have a garden. Number one, soil. You don't have the right soil, you're not growing anything. If you've got rocky soil, you've got clay in your soil, it doesn't drain right, you're not going to hold water or you're not going to pass water through the soil well enough, you're not growing anything without the right soil. You're not growing anything unless you have shade over your plants or you're trying to give more heat to your plants. So you've got to say, what's the environment going on here and how do I need to aid this plant in getting the heat that it needs or sheltering it from the heat that it doesn't need in order for it to grow? And of course... Uh, you know this, water. If you don't have water in the environment, plants are not growing anyway, uh, no matter what you do. So water has to be sufficiently provided. That is three things that are critical to the environment of growing a vegetable in your garden in the Pacific Northwest or maybe anywhere. But there's also some things that are needed in order to have a discipleship environment within the church. 
And in this card that I mentioned to you, we mentioned the three things that are needed in order to have an environment of discipleship. That's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we work together to have the right climate, the right environment in order to be able to grow as disciples? I went back to this this week. I was so excited this week. And I said, man, those are just right on. And I want to be a part of a church that practices these ways of, of having an environment that's conducive to the things that matter to us. All right, here goes. I have three things that are a part of the, an environment that we want to create for growing disciples. The first one is that it is God-centered. And I have that on the screen uh, behind me. And this is the way we wrote it. And I love the way we wrote it. We uh, pursue discipleship with Jesus to glorify God not as a self-improvement plan to make ourselves more self-righteous or earn the approval of God. So I want you to hear this. We are pursuing discipleship because it pleases the Father. The Father wants us to do this, and that's the chief motivation of why we would go about this is because it, it's, it's something that God wants from us. He wants us to become disciples of Jesus and have relationship with Jesus. Now, here's where it can get ugly. It can get ugly if it turns into something in which it's my act of self-righteousness that I am pursuing. It turns ugly when it turns out I want to be better than you, and that's what my measuring stick is, is to be better than you. That's when it starts getting ugly. Let me give you an example of that. Um, chances are good that if you've lived much of life at all, you've had some time at which you have dieted. Now, I realize, I don't, I've never met a person that likes to diet. I would just like to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. That's the kind of life I want to lead. But alas, my body will not put up with that. I have to have some constraint, and I have to have some restraint around what I eat, and I have to diet at times. Here's what we've all learned as we diet. When I diet, I am suddenly very aware of what you are eating. I diet, and I start going, I can't believe she had the chocolate cake. You look at him, and you go, another hot dog? Really? I mean, you know, so that's what's just kind of coming up on the inside of me as I'm noticing I'm dieting, but I'm looking at you. And so you're the focus now of my, my dieting, and, you know, that's the way it kind of works when we are in the flesh. When disciple-making is God-centered, it's not focused on comparing with you. It is focused upon my response to God's call for me. And so again, it's not that I'm disinterested in you and your growth as a disciple. I want that. But my chief focus is not to evaluate your life, but it's to evaluate my life. When it's God-centered, that's what happens. Is God is the one that's saying, Brian, this is what I want for you. I'm not comparing or saying I, I've got to judge that against somebody else. It's what God is wanting for me, and it's the, God's direction in my life. Furthermore, when discipling is God-centered, it flows from the right foundation. It flows from a foundation that is secure in Christ by grace. I'm not trying to earn anything with God. I'm not trying to show him how good I am. Rather, I'm working from the foundation that has already been established and from the foundation, which is this, I'm already secure in Christ. I've already been forgiven by Christ. I've already been called a son or a daughter of Christ. And so now I'm working from that. There's nothing I'm trying to do in order to God, make God love me anymore. 
I'm just working from what he has already delivered to me. And that's the best foundation to operate from. Because what happens in that is there's a reflection or there's a response to God that says, out of everything that you've given, now I just, I want to please you. I, I, I see what good you are. I see what good you've done. And now my motivation is to love you. My, my motivation is to honor you because that is flowing from the inside of my heart. It's not a matter of me trying to earn something or, or show God how good I am. Rather, it's a response from his love. And that is the foundation that we want to all operate from is this idea of honoring God first. Not a comparison to somebody else, not trying to earn something, but we are saying, Lord, we are responding to the call that you have given to our lives. All right, there's another aspect I want you to see about the discipleship environment we're trying to create. It's one in which it is grace-filled. And this is the way we wrote it, again on the screen behind me. We recognize that we constantly need the grace of God and the path of discipleship involves stumbles and falls along the way. That should be a no-brainer for everybody here today because guess what? You have not arrived and neither have I. You're, you're not perfect. You're not perfectly following Jesus. Now again, I think everybody is trying to do that, but we all are failing in the process and we're not perfect yet. We're not a perfect match with Jesus. That process of being conformed to the image of Christ has a religious word to it. And the religious word is sanctification. Say that with me. Sanctification. And that's the process of being made into the image of Christ. All of us are in that process of doing that. But guess what? We fail. And we get up and we try again. This means that we have grace for each other because what we love is when people try. Uh, we, uh, we know that they're going to try and sometimes they're going to fail and we've got grace for that. We've got the ability for people to go and explore and fail at times and that is still okay. Everybody here today who knows Christ, everybody who has Christ dwelling within them is probably uh, going to say 100% in the room that you value reading God's word regularly, maybe even daily. And, you know, you would say that. That's a value that you have. It's something that you want. And yet, the, on the other hand, believing that that's something good and actually doing it are, well, two different things. The conversation always goes like this when I talk to people. They say, you know, I started off and I was going to read the whole Bible. And I started off in the book of Genesis. It was great. I got to the book of Exodus, and it was pretty much great. I mean, I was following along. It was pretty good. And then I hit the book of Leviticus. And there was all these rules and all these regulations and all the body count started going up because people were disobeying. And man, I, I mean, I just, I, I stopped. I stopped reading. And so it's so easy to have with full conviction what I'm going to do and to not follow through on that. And that, guess what, is part of the Christian life. It's, I want to hear, hear, me, hear, me, hear me very clear today. It's okay. It's okay if you've tried and not made it. What we're asking for is, well, try again. And learn from what you've done wrong. And ask God, correct that in me and help me to improve in that. And that's really all we're asking for. Let me give you another example. I love to be around especially men in a discipleship group. And there's always something that happens. When we're a discipleship group together, one of the things that happens is 
men start to get some accountability with each other. So we start asking each other, how are you doing? And we start actually tracking with each other some things that we're trying to do within a discipleship group. One of them is to be more regular within God's word, to be regular in prayer. And so we're talking to each other about that process of how that's going. And I always love the first week because the first week everybody goes out, man, they're on fire. They come back the first week and there's high fives all the way around the table. And it's like, man, this was just fantastic. And I've, I read God's word and this is what I got out of it. And I wrote a journal entry and it, it's just electric. And then the second week comes. And well, my child got sick. I had a fight with my wife. The dog ate my homework. I mean, all those things are all kind of coming out. And the guys arrive the second week and it's like you can feel the tension in the room. And it's like, you know, we had the desire, we were gonna be in the scriptures every day this week together. And maybe the guys, kind of some of them only made it twice. And so they come and they're, you know, they're really ginger about the way they walk into the conversation. And here's what they're gauging. If I say that I was only in the scriptures twice this week, is that going to be okay or am I going to get kicked out of Brian's discipleship group? And that's what they're thinking. Let me just tell you, the way of Jesus is that you try and at times fail and you get up and you go again. That's what this is all about. And in case you haven't noticed it, Jesus led a bunch of knuckleheads they were far from perfect. Read the scriptures. I'm so glad it's been recorded for us because they're yo-yos. They do not know what they're doing. They don't know who Jesus is. And Jesus, man, he calls them to be close to him. He sends them on mission trips. He, he does all kinds of stuff that in our day and age might seem rather reckless. But here's Jesus doing it and letting, letting just the fur fly. And, and it's awesome. Can I give you one of my favorite times where I think it was one of the most audacious errors? I know you might say, well, it was when Peter denied Jesus three times. And, you know, that's a big one and, you know, all the rest. But this one's kind of obscure and lost. But I just think it is classic. Here it is. It's, uh, let me see, what, what, what's my passage? Uh, Matthew chapter 20. Here it is. The mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. So catch this. She's got two disciples that are with Jesus. And so as a mom, she is pretty stoked. And so she comes to Jesus. She got down on her knees before Jesus to ask something of him. He said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that my two sons may sit, one at your right side and one at your left side when you are king. So catch this. Mommy comes on behalf of the boys. I mean, by, by very definition, it's like, the boys are probably, mom, what are you doing? But I think they even talked about this. And they were like, you know, we're kind of important people now because we're with Jesus. And you know, when Jesus is an earthly king and he is setting up his whole kingdom and we've got the whole thing going, we know where we want to be. One on the right, one on the left. And so again, they're audacious enough somehow as a family to come and ask for this. And, and Jesus, his reply is fantastic. He just says, I, I don't think you even know what you're asking. He said, can you actually take on the, the grief, the suffering that I'm going to undergo? And, and of course they have no answer to that because they aren't even thinking in those categories. But Jesus promises, you know, there's going to become a day in which you're going to taste some of that. 
And so they, again, they ask for things they don't have appetites that are the right kind of appetites yet, but Jesus is patient with all of that. And his disciples make all kinds of mistakes, and so will you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you're not gonna do it perfectly. You're gonna need the Holy Spirit working within you. You're gonna need God's guidance. You're gonna need the guidance of some other people. And that's all we can ask for is that you keep on trying. Let me give you another example of this. It's a favorite memory of mine, actually, from this summer. Many of you know that we traveled to Spain, and we visited some Cuban friends that we have in Spain, Alex and Esther. They have a little boy named Gabby. Well, he's not little anymore. He's 13 years old. And uh, we learned as we got there, we, by the way, we uh, were there with Rick and Jen Sorensen, and we, uh, we, we got a, a VRBO uh, in, in a very pretty area, and it had a swimming pool. And we got there, and it was so pretty and so nice, and we got ready to go get in the water, and we realized Gabby didn't know at 13 years old how to swim. And so Rick and I were like, took it upon ourselves. We're like, we know what's going to happen now over the next week. We are going to get in the water, and we're going to help Gabby learn how to swim. And so he was deathly afraid of the water, and that had to be step one. You cannot learn to swim if you're afraid of the water. You got to kind of overcome some of that. So we're like, you know, you just don't go, don't be afraid of the water. You, you got to do some things that help you learn that the water can be actually a fun place. So we started throwing a ball around in the swimming pool, just moving and catching the ball. Pretty soon that moved to monkey in the middle, which is kind of a keep away game. And so we played that within the, the pool. It actually came to the spot where we would take Gabby and have him lay back and then just support him so that he could float on the water. And he, he'd be okay for a while, and then all of a sudden, whoo, you know, he, he was afraid we were going to drop him. And so fear would enter back in again. I have a picture here of Gabby, and uh, here he is. We actually went to the ocean, and we had a little bit of time in the pool, and so uh, here he is in the ocean, and he's enjoying the water. Now, now let me ask you this. Uh, after we'd worked with Gabby for a few days, and maybe let's say on the fourth day, Gabby said, oh, I'm suddenly afraid again. Was our response, oh, what a failure you are. We're not doing any more swimming lessons at all. You just, it's failure. You're out. No, that's not the love of a father. The love of a father is, it's okay. Come on, come on, let's get back in the water. Let's, let's play some more games in the water. Let, let's try again. And that's the way you learn how to swim is by learning and failing and being afraid at times, but then recovering from that and trying it all again. That is the environment that we want as we are seeking to make maturing disciples of Jesus. It's one in which it is grace-filled, and the only failure is not trying. That's the only failure. I mean, we can all accomplish that, right? I mean, it just means you, you, you're not done trying. You're going to continue to try to follow Jesus and do what he says to do. And that's, that's, the, that's the bedrock of what we are all about. And we just want there to be a lot of grace to overcome anything in which there's any kind of a, a reported failure or a problem. All right, there's one more thing I want you to see about the environment of discipleship we're creating. It's also, also growth producing, and this is the way we wrote it in the card. As followers of Jesus, we're in the process of being transformed into his likeness. We cooperate with God to identify areas of our lives where we need to take the next step in becoming more like Jesus. We believe growth is possible. And in fact, God is already working in your life to produce some of the things that he wants because he planted the Holy Spirit within you. If you know Jesus, that's true already about you. And so we believe growth is possible 
But you're asking the question, well, how does that growth exactly happen? Philippians chapter two is one of my favorite verses for this. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so read that for a minute. And let me ask you the question. Is it you doing the work? Or is it God doing the work? And the biblical answer to that is yes. God's doing work. And so are you. God is doing the predominant heavy lifting, but he's saying, won't you join me? Won't you join me with all that you have, with all the desires that you have, all the perhaps imperfections you have too, but won't you join me in working out your salvation with fear and trembling because I'm working in you in order to accomplish my good pleasure on the inside of you. And that's a beautiful picture. It's one that we always have to remember. I love the quote from Dallas Willard. I've used this before and I will continue to use it. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So grace is never opposed to you trying. And for you to say, I'm going to try this because I want to glorify God. I want to honor God. And so to be a disciple means that we're always trying. And growth is happening on the inside of each one of us. Again, on this card... We've given you, I hope, something that helps to decide and define what your next step of growth might be. And we call it the nine traits of a maturing disciple. If you get the card, you'll see the nine traits there. I have them on the screen behind me. It begins with salvation. You can't be a disciple of Jesus unless you know Jesus. And so salvation is step one. And you'll notice all the way at the end, reproduction is step nine. You're helping somebody else in their journey. And then everything else in between. And so what we're encouraging you to do is take a look at the nine traits and say, God, what is it that this year you might really be pressing on my life in order to uh, do or accomplish? And what is it something that I, uh, some area of my life as a disciple of yours that I'm really to lean into this year? You can't lean into all of it. So you've got to lean into a portion of it. And so I encourage you, perhaps look at the nine traits or maybe God's already laying something on your life, on your heart. But the other one that you want to look at is what are my life circumstances? What's happening with me right now? And oftentimes what's happening with you right now will be one of the areas that God wants to really work with you in because it's immediate, it's pressing. It's something that is going to become very important to you. Let me give you an example perhaps of several people at different stages of life in order to say what might be next for you this year in maturing as a disciple. I know there are many people here that are parents with young children. And you feel as though your life is chaotic, your hair is on fire, you don't know what to do next because it's just one thing after another. And I talk with you all the time and I'm like always amazed and dazzled. It's like, man, and there's another thing that you're doing and another thing that you're uh, involved in. And it just feels as though life is too fast. I would encourage you to say, would you invite Jesus into parenting your children? Would you invite Jesus into loving your wife or your husband? And let him be in the midst of that chaos and bring words to you, words of empowerment, encouragement, sometimes even restraint. But would you invite Jesus into that portion of your life, that that chaos of your life and say, Jesus, I just realize, I I don't even know what I'm completely doing here, but I, I want your guidance. I want your aid. I want your empowerment. 
And so for you this year, it might really be all around this idea of what it means to love, love my family well, and what it means for me to really be listening to God. Maybe it's an area of character development in your life is to say, I want to bring God into every aspect of my being. If you're a teen, you're still learning what it means to follow God. You are maybe in your first steps of that. And your devotional life, I can think of nothing that would be more important than you for, to, for you to say, I want to know God. I really want to know God. And so I'm going to lay an emphasis upon being in his word and praying. I, the, everything is a foundation really from that. And so maybe this is the year in which you say, I really want to be faithful in that, and I want to ask somebody to help me be faithful in that. Maybe some of you here are empty nesters. You've walked with God for a while. You maybe even have a little bit of wisdom And so maybe it's time for you to somehow give away what you know and mentor somebody else. It's it's oftentimes simple. Young people just want somebody who will listen. Somebody will meet them in a coffee shop and say, you're okay, I've lived this before, I've seen this movie, and you're okay, and I'm gonna pray with you, and I'm gonna continue to listen to you. You have a tremendous value to the church if you are that kind of person that is a safe person that could be talked with. That would be a tremendous way for you to lead a life of uh, maturing discipleship with Jesus this year. Can I just tell you, for me, I know that one of the areas that I'm really focusing with God this year is on love. My 97-year-old mother is, is not doing completely well. And I'm realizing that to love my mother oftentimes costs me something as inconvenient. But guess what? That's the kind of love that Jesus has extended to me. So how can I extend that to my mother? And so love is one of the ones that I'm really pursuing this year. How do I love my mother well all the way until the end? I'm asking God to empower me towards that. The environment here at church makes a difference. We want to be about making maturing disciples of Jesus, and I am asking you to join me in creating that kind of environment here. How can you help? Let me summarize what I've been saying with three things I want you to do right now. The three things are beginning with look up. You're going to look up, look in, and look out. Let me explain the three of them to you. You're going to look up. It cannot begin if this is just your idea of what you should be doing. It has to be something God wishes for you. And you've got to start by saying, I'm looking up, Lord, I want to connect with you and I want to know what is it that you are doing in my life and how are you wanting me to progress? How can I participate with you? And so you're starting by looking up. Second, you're looking in. And you're going back to some of the things I just said earlier. You're asking, what are some of the things going on in my life? What are some of the problems in my life? What are some of the confusion in my life? And perhaps what God is doing is he's working in the midst of those very circumstances right now. So I'm looking in. I'm looking up. I'm looking in and saying, okay, I think I'm getting the lay of the land. And then you're looking out. Once you have a little bit of a handle on what it is you think God's leading you to do this year, then you're sharing that with somebody else. And in fact, you're asking them, what is God laying on your heart? What do you think you're leaning into as a disciple this year? And you're listening to them and encouraging them and praying for them. And so it's something that you're doing that's not just by yourself, but it's something that you're doing together. Look up, look in, look out. Look up, look in, look out. That's what I'm encouraging you to do together today. And I believe that we can create an environment of making maturing disciples here And it will be a healthy one. It will be a good one. It will be one that we all want to be a part of. And in fact, here's what I would say. I think we've already begun that. It's not like we're starting from square one. We have already begun that for God's glory. 
And all we're saying is excel still more. Let's do better and better and better at creating that kind of environment so we are all growing for the glory of God. Father, thank you for today, the start of a brand new year as a church. And it's filled with excitement. For me, it's filled with all kinds of possibility. What might you be laying on the hearts of my friends this year about what it means for them to mature as a disciple? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and make that abundantly clear to them of exactly what it is you're calling them to do in participation with you? We love you. We want our lives to count. We realize life is short, and so we're living in light of eternity, and we want, Lord, to glorify you in all we say and do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.